Howdy folks, I want to welcome you to another episode of Life Around the Fire. My name is David Hutari and I'll be your host today. We are a podcast that is devoted to spiritual growth. And when I'm talking about spiritual growth, I'm referring to growth in our relationships with God and in our relationships with one another. What we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at this whole aspect of life where, excuse me. You know, it is where you feel like you got things figured out and you pretty, you know, there's some complex things that you feel like you've got. Now you got the formula for them, right? You know that A plus B equals C and all that stuff. And you feel pretty good about it. And then, (laughs) right, right when you feel like you've got things figured out, something happens that just like the whole nother angle comes in on it. And we see things from a different slant. And in our spiritual life, that is often the case. It's called a paradigm shift, right? It's a paradigm shift. That's where we have a particular way of looking at things. And then something happens that causes that to change. And we look at it, and it's no longer one way. It happens to be another way. And so our paradigm shifts, and the way that we view the world takes on a different meaning. One of the classic examples pertains to a question that was asked a group of people, one group was from the Eastern Hemisphere on the globe, and the other group was from the Western Hemisphere of the globe. And the way that their paradigms were different. The people from the East were presented the question, if England has a cold climate and rice cannot grow in a cold climate, can rice grow in England? Right? Okay. And the same question was asked people from the Western Hemisphere. England is a cold climate. Rice does not grow in a cold climate. Can you grow rice in England? And the people from the Western Hemisphere, by and large, said, no, 
because hands down, no. And the people from the Eastern Hemisphere said, I don't know. I've never been to England. <laughs> Their paradigm was different. Their worldview was different. The way they went about interpreting things was different. And so when they said, I don't know, because they had never been to England, was an indication that the way that decisions were made from their mindset was you can't really make a decision until you have seen it happen yourself or you've been there personally. In the West, we often equate information with experience or with learning. Once you learn the information, that is an indicator that you have learned your lesson. Whereas in other cultures, the learning process hasn't really taken place until you have applied what you have learned. And so, in our spiritual lives, every so often, and sometimes more often than others, we experience shifts in the way that we view things because God's thoughts are not always exactly like our thoughts. His ways aren't always like our ways. There are some things that coincide. There are some things that match. But there are other things that are different. And it behooves us to learn those differences because the view of the world that God has is the ultimate view of the world because God, being the designer, has a vantage when he looks at the world, he sees things, he sees things complete, whereas we see things oftentimes in part. Now, in the book of John, in the Gospel of John, in the Bible, in the New Testament, in chapter 9, there's a story about a blind man, and I want to share that particular story in this episode because it drives home a real cool point, man, and hopefully it will be beneficial in your life as you grow in your relationship with God and in your relationships with other people. And Jesus, in John chapter 9 was with a group of people and they were traveling throughout this particular area in Israel and there was a man who was born blind that was presented to them, to him. And being born blind, this man had no concept of what the world looked like except through his mind's eye, which is amazing, right? Just 
that of myself, how we adapt to things and how we can see things that other people can't see. Even if we're blind, we still see. That's really not the point of this particular episode. The point is that there are things that are taking place that they appear to be one way, but they actually have a completely different reason behind why they are the way they are. In John chapter 9, starting at verse 1, we read this. Afterward, as Jesus walked down the street, he noticed a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Teacher, whose sin caused this guy's blindness? His own or the sin of his parents? Now, <laughs> the disciples, to their credit, they were really trying, man. They were really trying hard to put together a reason why this guy was born blind. And in their mind, it had to be one of two reasons. One was because he had sin in his life. He had issues in his life that had produced complications in his relationship with God and other people. Or his parents were messed up. And they had problems. They had issues. And so they asked Jesus in kind of this broad-minded fashion, you know, well, who, who really was the responsible party in this? And I think they were kind of expecting, this is my hunch, I think they were kind of expecting to get kudos for being that astute in their putting together this formula. Because like most of us, we like to have formulas and categories to put things in. You know, one, two, three, steps one, two, three, the ingredients to make a cake, the way in which we can put together a wagon, all that stuff, man, right? You know, things that have order to them, we have a formula or we have some sort of procedure and it just makes life enjoyable in many respects. So, they're looking at this situation and they're saying, well, it's got to be a sin issue because otherwise, why would this guy be born blind? And so, when Jesus said to them, neither, <laughs> like, neither, in their head, they're like, neither, what? You mean neither? It happened to him so that you could watch him experience God's miracle while I am with you. See, while I'm with you, it's daytime. And we must do the works of God who sent me while the light shines. 
For there is coming a dark night when no one will be able to work. As long as I'm with you, my life is the light that pierces the world's darkness. Then Jesus spat on the ground and made some clay with his saliva. Then he anointed the blind man's eyes with the clay, and he said to the blind man, Now go and wash the clay from your eyes in the ritual pool of Siloam. So he went and washed his face, and as he came back, he could see for the first time in his life. It wasn't an issue of whether or not this man had sin in his life or that his parents were messed up. It was actually the fact that he was going to be a recipient of a miracle in front of the people that were alive at that time so that the people that saw what had taken place could see not only the miracle, but they could see the loving touch that comes from a loving father to one of his children and performs for them a miracle. It wasn't an issue of sin. Now, as people, it's important for us to note that we, in our desire to put together things in an orderly fashion, which, you know, I mean, come on, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing. However, if we are more committed to our methods than we are to the truth, we have to step back. We have to take a step back and allow God to show us how we can go about correcting that. Because what the disciples didn't factor in was the fact that this man had been allowed to be blind so that there was going to come a point in time in his life when the goodness of God could be demonstrated and that people from all around could see what had taken place and glorify God, their father, in a way that they'd never been able to see or express it previously. God was going to be honored in a way that was going to just absolutely elevate the dynamic of praise and worship. And in so doing, it was going to produce that ongoing craving and hunger in the heart of the men, women, and children in that area. A craving and a hunger to know God personally. Because someone like that was way different when I say like that. Someone who would heal someone. Someone who would lovingly touch someone. Someone who would literally give someone their sight as a demonstration of love. Someone who would do that is worth knowing, not just on a casual basis, 
but worth really getting to know. Interesting what can take place when we set aside some of our religious formulas and our ways of looking at God and looking at life because sometimes they can be too constrictive and too restrictive. They can be too small. It's like trying to put God in a box. God is bigger than our formulas. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a recipe, obviously, man. There's nothing wrong with having an order of doing things. As long as we are not more committed to that than we are to love, to mercy, to truth, to kindness, to goodness, to healing, our commitment is not designed to be strictly in the methods that we have presented to us or that we develop on our own. Our commitment is in relationship with God like Jesus demonstrated. He said that he only did what he saw the Father doing. And so when Jesus demonstrated this miracle of love, he was demonstrating the heart of our Heavenly Father. Unlike the images that the Pharisees and the scribes and some of the religious and political people of that era were portraying, they were making God out to be strict, rigid, and very difficult to please, very easy to anger, and very, very slow to forgive. Because that's who they were. They, meaning the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, all these people that made up the religious and political scene, wanted their power, and the way they knew how to get and keep their power was through intimidation and through rules and for making life difficult for other people and then punishing them for not being able to keep the laws that weren't even God's laws. They were laws that people made up in order to control other people so that they would have money, power, prestige, all that goes along with it. Jesus came to show clearly that God was not a religious formula, but God was alive, real, that demonstrated his love, that demonstrated his care, that demonstrated his commitment. A rule can't have a covenant with a person. A law can't have a relationship with somebody. It takes someone, something that's alive in order for there to be relationship, in order for there to be a demonstration of life. Otherwise, what we have 
are preconceived notions that ultimately leave us in a place of disappointment, which then produces within us fear, which then produces within us anxiety and a lot of resentment, bitterness, strife, envy. The basis of life is not fear of not keeping rules and regulations and having formulas that are set in place. And if we don't, things just won't happen. Jesus was saying and is saying, both then and now, by the Holy Spirit, that that is not the way of the kingdom of God. That is not the culture of God's kingdom. That's not the will of God. In fact, at times, he wants to break into our world and show us his world so that we can make the adaptation from our world into his world, not the other way around, trying to squeeze God and limit God into our way of thinking, our formulas. And once again, not all formulas are bad. They're only bad until they reach a point that they are elevated above, elevated above the sanctity of human life. When we start serving formulas instead of engaging ourselves in relationship and then having a lifestyle as a result of the relationship, that is a demonstration of something that is fluid, something that has a smacking of reality to it with a capital R, meaning that God's life and God's reality moves in and causes our view, our small r reality, lowercase reality, to shift. Our paradigm shifts, our worldview expands, and we become more oriented to living a life and lifestyle that is consistent with the kingdom of God, the life of Jesus Christ demonstrated while he was on earth and now being demonstrated through us by the Holy Spirit while we are on earth. We have the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwelling in us for those of us who have placed our trust, our confidence, our faith, our hope, our life in the care in the hands of Jesus Christ, because he not only shed his blood for us, he cleanses us, not just previously cleansed, he cleanses us from our iniquities. He cleanses us from the things that cause us to stumble and fall. He removes the barriers and he fills us with his spirit and the same spirit that raised him from the dead. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we have victory over the things that previously 
have held us down, and it is based upon relationship, not based upon formulas. The basis of our life is equal to the depth and height and breadth and width of our relationship with God and with one another. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord God, thank you for the sweeping movement and work of your spirit, how you are sweeping out the old things and presenting us with new things, how you are causing things to change within us. Lord, that you have our attention. God, you have my attention. Father, as one of your children, you have my attention, and I thank you for that. I thank you for the heart that you've given to me. I thank you for the eyes that you've placed inside of my heart so that I can see. I can perceive and walk in your kingdom now. Lord, I ask that that revelation would take place in the hearts and minds of men, women, and children throughout the nations, Lord, and that you'd use our lives, you'd use this simple podcast as one of the drops in the ocean of communication that comes from your heart, Lord. God, thank you. And we lift your name up and worship you just like Jesus did, Lord. Just like our Savior. Thank you. Amen. All right, folks, I love you. I hope you have a great day. And for the rest of the day, I hope that you can invest at least five minutes, man. You can invest at least five minutes in just adoring the Lord. In a place where you can just get away, get by yourself, and just adore the Lord, worship him. Express to him the adoration and love that you have for him. And when I say five minutes, you know what I'm talking about. It's just that little framework, right? But that is uh, my recommendation is to take a few minutes and adore the Lord in your heart, in your mind, with your voice, with your hands. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. All right, folks. I love you. If you have any thoughts, questions, concerns, drop us a line at lifearoundthefire at gmail.com. In the meantime, take care of yourselves. Bye now.